0: to the Splendid Chaps Christmas Special, recorded live at the Belly Union at Trades Hall in Melbourne on the 15th of December, 2013. Please be aware, this episode does contain coarse language, as everyone a been at the Christmas sharing. Now let's go over to the party, shall we? Here's Petra Elliot.
1: What do you think, darling? Do you like your little Christmas hat? Excellent! Oh, oh, the band are here already. It's the Time Lads. Hi, guys. Oh, sorry, I didn't see you there. Where did you all get here? Oh, I'm so glad you could come to my little party. I, uh, I don't remember the lounge room being this big, and I have no idea where I got all the chairs. John have just like stopped out to get some ice because I can't do Christmas without hard drugs. (laughs) But they'll be back in a minute. Don't you just love Christmas? I love it. I love the tree. I love the music. I love the mirror ball. My favourite part of Christmas is the Dalek. I just love Daleks so much, I wish I could spend every Christmas with them. A long time with the lights, though. Wonder where they could be. Sorry, oh! It's my co host John Richards and Ben McKenzie. Hi, everyone.
0: Sorry, we're late, Petra. Um, the, the good people from BBC on DVD were just outside dropping off some presents. Ooh. Yay! It's a door prize for our audience here. Uh, If you've all got a a number, later in the show you'll have the chance to win either The Day of the Doctor, Scream of the Schalke, or Enemy of the World on DVD.
1: That's awesome balls. (laughs) Christmas balls, of course.
0: Ah, right, yeah. For the people, of course, at home who are are listening to the less visual podcast, I I should point out you're wearing a very nice sexy Santa outfit tonight, Petra.
1: I believe it's sexy Mrs. Claus.
0: And I've gone for the barbican because, uh, yeah, I thought it just—it just put a bit of old-school charm to an event like this. And uh, and I see some of us have made no effort at all. Oh,
2: look, I'm sorry, John. I was just so excited. It's Christmas time. Wow! And you know what happens at Christmas, John? Petra?
3: Oh, you no, know, this don't isn't. You? This yeah, is yeah,
2: right? yeah. Santa Capaldi comes down your chimney. And gives you a whole new Christmas worth of Doctor
0: Who. It's so great. Oh, I'm so excited. Santa Capaldi isn't... Uh, is, is, it's,
1: it's, it's,
2: yeah, it's Santa Capaldi. I'm really looking forward to seeing him. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. It's going to be so yes. great. You know, and I was so excited I couldn't even get dressed out of my pyjamas and dressing yeah. gown. Yeah, there Cap- was a Satsuma in, a in the pocket, but I ate it. <laughs> i tell you, though, you know what my favourite thing is about Christmas? No. The Dalek. I want to okay, well, spend no, my... credit. no, no, cre- no, wait, wait. no, John, no. That song will never be sung on this podcast. (laughs) I made a promise (laughs) to myself. What did you get up to before we got here?
1: Oh, just, you know, fiddle with the Christmas tree and stuff. (laughs) Say hi to the band.
0: (laughs) Oh, speaking of the band, ladies and gentlemen, the Time Lads. There's also a drummer behind the tree.
1: Don't mind the drummer. He's just the clock.
2: It's whoa. Whoa, Whoa. Not my words. But you said them.
1: <laughs>
2: you don't so, make fun of the drummer at the start of the gig. <laughs> that's the wrong so, so, Caleb, are you going to take the, the band
0: out and make some snow angels? We're going go to go drink
2: eggnog and come oh, back on. Oh, nice. Yeah,
0: great. Cool.
2: Okay. Yum.
0: Everyone wave goodbye to the time, lads. Bye, time lads. They'll be back later. Yeah. But thank you all for coming to our party. <laughs> Yay. I don't know if
2: everybody's here yet, John.
1: Oh, that, that's the doorbell. It's writer, broadcaster, lecturer, public speaker and programmer, Thomas Caldwell. Hey! Hi, Thomas.
4: Hi, Hi Thomas. everybody.
5: Hi, Thomas. Hey, I thought I'd just crash the party to bring you the gift of Doctor Who in the guise of Peter Cushing. Oh! I don't think we've got that one. No. I thought Peter Cushing was in Star Wars, though. Are you sure you're thinking of the right thing? John, you are correct. He's in Star Wars and he has a ridiculous name because that's part of the Star Wars universe, so I can't remember who he played. Oh, he's, <laughs> no,
2: no, no, he's, he's Grand Moff Tarkin.
5: That's what I said, a ridiculous name. Yeah. <laughs> Which Doctor Who never does, of course. Peter Cushing, very much non-canon, played the Doctor in two film adaptations. So we had in 1965 Doctor Who and the Daleks gives away what it's about straight away (laughs) and the second film is one of the most yeah, spoiler terrific titles ever Daleks Invasion Earth 2150 AD (laughs) and these are adaptations of the first two William Hartnell Dalek stories starring Peter Cushing who was huge in England for playing characters like Sherlock Holmes Van Helsing he did lots of Hammer Horror and he did a few films with a studio Amicus production who did these Dalek stories and Amicus was kind of like the slightly more crap Hammer Horror Studio. It's sort of what Doolies are to the Wiggles. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, They're standalone films, so they they retrospectively create who the Doctor is and who the characters are. So Peter Cushing is a human inventor who has two granddaughters, Susan and Barbara. And this is kind of cool, actually. The, the, The film starts with Susan and Barbara reading science books and Doctor Who, and he's called Doctor Who in the films, he's reading a comic. And Ian blunders in as Barbara's wacky, accident-prone boyfriend. And in true Doctor Who style, Peter Cushing says, yeah, check out this thing I built. It travels in time and space. Ian knocks a lever because he's a bumbling fool. (laughs) Lol. And they go to (laughs) Scaro. Yay! So, look, there's some curious things about this incarnation of Doctor Who as Peter Cushing did it. He speaks and uses the same mannerisms as William Hartnell, which is kind of interesting, but in a really friendly, warm, welcoming way. It's the most (laughs) cuddly (laughs) Peter Cushing ever gets. And he's lovely, but he kind of dresses as a bit of a dandy. And you've kind of got a bit of a precursor in this version of Doctor Doctor Who, sorry, to the John Pertwee stuff. So I see Peter Cushing as sort of, I don't know, an echo of what was to come, and it kind of works. Uh, The film's... Okay, they're shot in glorious Technicolor, which was normally reserved for big Hollywood musicals. So the colours are really vibrant. And it kind of accentuates the limitations of the budget and the material. (laughs) I adore the 60s Doctor Who, because I think that, you know, that tight frame and the black and white has something kind of magical and mysterious to it. And all the limitations kind of inspired some really inventive stuff. In these films, you can see that the metallic world of Scarrow is painted wood. The second film... I think it's actually not bad. The second film, they get some of the production values down better. They have this really funky, upbeat jazz score for when they attack the Dalek ship, which is kind of awesome. And, um, yeah, look, it's just a tighter... It's more of a, a, a fun film. But, look, these are kind of curiosity values films only, but I think Peter Cushing is worth checking out as, I don't know, an alternative of what they could have done with The Doctor. So as a present, can I just ask, have you just given us
0: like a really great compilation album like, you know, Ripper 76 or or have you given us the k album, which is the terrible soundalike covers?
5: Look, a little from column A, a little from column B. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, well, the films actually quite impressively condensed those two stories to really short running times. I mean, the stories were long and padded out because they were episodic. The films are half the running time of the stories, and they're under 90 minutes. And as a film reviewer, I just adore seeing anything under 90 minutes these days. (laughs) And and the films do zip along quite nicely. The second film isn't bad. Uh, The first one is a bit grating, mainly because it maintains that sort of post-London blitz World War II sort of subtext of saying, pacifism's really crap. Enemies are always evil. We should go and fight them. I think... As the second William Hartnell Dalek story, I think it's the superior story. I think the second Peter Cushing film is the superior film. Interesting doctor, there's more for the women to do in these films, which is actually quite impressive. Susan is actually played by a teenager, so she looks the part. I adore Caroline Ford, but I never really bought the fact that she was 15 years old.
2: Roberta Toby's like 12 in the first one.
5: Yeah, 12 in the first one, or 13 in the second one. Yeah, she's
2: great as well. Yeah. My, my
0: favourite thing is, I think it's in the second one, the Daleks actually have lava lamps on their spaceship.
2: Yeah, they do. Uh, they really do. And their spaceship... Yeah. is the grooviest spaceship ever invented. It's like a Chevy combined with a flying saucer.
5: That's kind of it. Yes, they do. They have lava lamps because they're futuristic. <laughs> and, um, and the Daleks also shoot gas. They were going to shoot flamethrowers, but that was considered too scary for kids. And these films are really hardcore marketed more at kids, even more so than the TV series. I never feel the sense of the TV series being for kids. I think it's so sophisticated in those early years, but the films are really a little bit... Yeah, they bring it down a few notches to make it a bit more childlike.
2: I, just remember, I always remember the trailer for the second one because they've got that character who's like David, uh, the resistance fighter, in the TV show. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's always that one bit in the trailer where it goes, the name of the actor is the lad with the knack and then it cuts to him throwing a knife and killing a roboman. And you're like, what film is this? <laughs> the
5: it's other so cool good. thing with the roboman is in the second film, Ian is gone and he's replaced by a cop called Tom who just blunders into TARDIS. It's not the TARDIS, it's just TARDIS. And I, I hate saying that. But Tom wanders into TARDIS and at one point he pretends to be a roboman and he's a cop. So this is a very early echo of Robocop.
2: <laughs> and and Tom is played by... It's Wilf. It's Wilf. He's so good as well. So he funny. He is good, yeah, yeah. And Roy Castle plays Ian in the first one. And they're both these fantastic comedy actors. And when he's pretending to be the Robo-Man, there's this great bit where he has to pretend to eat the pills. It's the same. And it's like that episode of I Love Lucy. It's like oh, that yeah. episode where they've got the chocolate factory. It's like that, but in a Dalek spaceship eating food pills. It's and like it's, the plank
5: of it was about drugs.
2: Yeah. It's, it's incredible. just
0: <laughs> like, it, whole...
2: who would actually get that reference. It's you. <laughs> <laughs>
5: There's, There's a whole sequence in Woody Allen's Sleeper as well, which, you know, yeah. Dalek Invasion of Earth predates... Was,
2: that was made, like, many years later. Many so. years
5: later. And look, it beautiful is. matte paintings in these films as well. I'll give them that. But technically, they're clunky, and Daleks in vibrant colours do not work all that well.
0: Well, I'm pretty excited. Now, since we clearly do all live in the same house together, which we've, we've established,
2: what room do you, should we put Peter Cushing in?
5: Uh, Where should we put him?
2: Well, I really like Peter Cushing, yeah. so maybe the pool room.
5: Yeah. OK. He's a great doctor. The film's Mm. but Peter Cushing is absolutely wonderful. Cool,
2: let's put Peter Cushing in the pool room. (laughs) And let's thank Thomas. Thank you. Merry Christmas.
5: Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Thomas,
2: Thomas, join the party.
1: That was fun. Oh, hey, there's a doorbell again. I wonder who it could be. Well, it's the star of Hell is for Hyphenates and the Bazura Project, writer and presenter, Lee Zachariah. Hi, Lee! Hi!
6: Hello. I thought I'd just stop by. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice fez.
6: Thank you, I thought it would be festive. Sorry, Who sorry, sorry, that's festive. Wait I've a minute, told. haven't you
2: brought us a Christmas gift, Lee?
6: No, but I had brought you a Hanukkah gift. Ugh. And it's the... <laughs> No, sorry. sorry semite. And, and it's the gift of Doctor Who, specifically the gift of Trevor Martin.
1: I don't know who that is.
6: Uh, nobody does, so I kept the receipt. It's, um, it's only good for store credit though, so I hope you like David Banks. Okay, look Lee, I'm too lazy to use Google, can you tell me
2: more about Hanukkah? Why is it called the Festival of Lights?
6: Well, after Antiochus was driven from the temple in 165 BCE, the Maccabees discovered that there was only enough oil left for one night, yet it miraculously burned for eight days.
1: So, like a podcast that only had enough material for 11 episodes and yet
2: went for, like, 20...
6: That's an oddly specific analogy, but yes. Okay.
2: Hang on, wait a minute. Hanukkah runs for a whole eight days. That means you owe us another seven presents.
6: Ha <laughs> right you are. Which is why I brought you seven keys to doomsday.
2: OK, you're going to have to explain that to everyone else.
6: I will. <clears throat> so Trevor Martin is a very important figure in Doctor Who history. In December of 1974, the stage play Doctor Who and the Daleks in The Seven Keys to Doomsday premiered at the Adelphi Theatre in London. Now, the original plan was to have recently departed John Pertwee play the role on stage, but due to reasons not covered by Wikipedia, (laughs) Pertwee declined. Now,
2: when you say recently departed, you mean he'd left the role of the doctor, not
6: Not that this was after he died. No, that's an important distinction. I'm glad you you pointed that out. (laughs) Good. So it was just after Planet of the Spiders, and a new doctor, Trevor Martin, was employed. Now, Martin's doctor must stop the Daleks and their crab-like servants, the clore from finding... (laughs) Yes. We didn't write that pun. (laughs) The clore From finding the seven crystals of Khan, which would enable them to control all life in the universe. Now I know what you're thinking. How can a stage play, the very definition of ephemera, be considered official Doctor Who? Well, peoples of the audience, or the lounge room, if that's where we are, (laughs) please attend carefully. Reason number one. Trevor Martin is the original fourth Doctor. The play ran before Tom Baker's first story, Robot, was aired and opened with screens showing Pertwee regenerating into Martin. Yes. And you all know that it's a well-established fact that whoever comes first is official. Richard E. Grant and Rowan Atkinson know what I'm talking about.
2: (laughs) Richard E. Grant?
6: Reason number two, the play is set on Khan, the very first time this planet appeared. It would later be used in the Brain of Morbius and 2013's The Night of the Doctor. Beat that, Telos! Reason number three, it's written by legendary Doctor Who writer Terence Dix. Now, as we all know, anything Uncle Terry puts on paper is automatically Doctor Who canon. This includes diary entries, letters to the council, and shopping lists. In fact, funny story. One of his shopping lists was actually published by BBC Books under the title The Eight Doctors. <laughs> <laughs> Harsh but fair. Reason number four. One of the two companions he had with him was played by Wendy Padbury, otherwise known as Second Doctor companion, Zoe Harriet. Reason number five. The play was considered a failure due to the fact that parents didn't want to risk a trip to the West End during the height of tensions with the IRA. Much in the same way that an unearthly child was hampered by the assassination of JFK. And the premiere of Rose in 2005 was undercut by the resignation of Estonian Prime Minister, (laughs) Juhan Parts. Look it up. Reason number six. It was adapted into an audio play in 2008 by Big Finish, making it not just a lost story, but a lost story that only has the audio surviving. Good luck finding that one, Phil Morris. (laughs) Following the popularity of Doctor Who and the Daleks in The Seven Keys to Doomsday, the stage play The Curse of the Daleks was then produced nine years previous. And who could forget... The Ultimate Adventure, the 1989 play which starred John Pertwee and Colin Baker in the Trevor Martin role. So in conclusion, please accept into your canon Doctor Who stage plays, as well as original fourth Doctor, Trevor Martin, the classic series John Hurt. A missing Doctor, now recovered. And isn't that what Hanukkah is all about?
1: Yeah, I I have no idea.
6: Actually, neither do I. they're candles,
7: I think. I <laughs> sure. Happy Hanukkah,
0: Lee. Happy Hanukkah, Lee. Hi, oh. it's
1: TV and radio host and soon to be star of the new Specs and Specs, Adam Richards. Hi, Adam.
8: Hi. Yeah. Hello, Adam. Hi. All right, I'm gonna do my best, Gabriel Wolf. All right, I bring you Santa's gift of Sarah Jane Smith. That's as good as the <laughs>
2: gift of Doctor Who
8: for sure. <laughs> Some would say better. (laughs) Well, I I do love Sarah Jane Smith. The reason I'm here to talk about Sarah Jane is because she was in a Christmas special in 1981 called Canine and Company (laughs) because John Nathan Turner, the producer, kicked Canine out of the TARDIS. (laughs) And children were devastated. And uh, he'd also been talking to Elizabeth Sladen because he wanted her to come back into the TARDIS when Tom Baker fell off the ramp and died and turned into Peter Davison. Just for, you know, three stories and then fuck off. (laughs) Excuse my French. Um, (laughs) But uh, she said, no, I don't want to do that. So he was like, oh, I've really got to make something with canine in it because everyone's complaining. So they decided to do a canine spin-off show. But because if you've watched any episodes with K-9, they tend to involve people talking to him while he's out of shot because he's not actually there. (laughs) Um, Or in The Creature from the Pit where Romana carries around a cardboard one (laughs) and has to point him at things to shoot. (laughs) So they've gone, oh, we need a human. (laughs) in the K-9 show. So they approached uh, Elizabeth Sladen, and she said, yes, I'll come back and be Sarah Jane Smith with K-9, Mark III, which kind of removes the jeopardy of if the hero keeps, you know, just being rebuilt. <laughs> I don't understand how they could think a television show could go on just replacing the lead. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and then, of course, Sarah Jane was in her own television show, The Sarah Jane Adventures. Yay! Which I adore, and I think because I, I've, I've been watching the, the old uh, Lila Ward and Tom Baker episodes, and I think what happened with the Sarah Jane Adventures is the reverse of what happened when those episodes were on, when Doctor Who became quite jokey and comedic because the BBC were also making Blake 7, which was quite serious and dramatic, and went for an hour and then they had the hilarious half hour show with Tom Baker and the funny scarf um, whereas in the reverse they had the kind of funny kids show with Sarah Jane, so the the main Doctor Who show could be really intense and terrifying, and we could all cry when Donna went funny. Um, Don't bring that up at Christmas. Time. Sorry, <laughs> I know it's it's sorry. I still get quite choked up. Uh, but the thing I loved about the Sarah Jane adventures is that you could have farting aliens, and no one complained. Um, you could have Dan Starkey as a ridiculously stupid Santaran and no one complained. <laughs> and, all, like, you could get away with all that stuff. And, but when you put it in the main show, people are like, oh, how very dare you taint our favourite show with comedy. It's meant to be a serious drama. No, it's a kids' show. Uh, <laughs> I love it. It's a kids' show. Romana carries Canine around and points him at rocks. <laughs> It's, it's quite stupid. I and, love it. And that. You're, a, you're a big fan of Sarah Jane, aren't you? You're I an do. actually. I, you know. I, I, well, when she passed away in real life, Elizabeth Slayton, I got quite upset. And I, I was asked to do a, um, a fan fiction show. You know the New Zealand kids that oh, do their yeah, fan, fan fiction? fan fiction show? comedy, yeah. It's a really good, fun show. And I was trying to write this funny story about. Uh, it was about Tom Baker's doctor and a giant tofu jelly baby. <laughs> and my grandmother had passed away the week before so it ended up being this tragic story about Sarah Jane not really coping with the passing of the third doctor and having this new man in her life who was for all intents and purposes the man she knew and loved but he was different. He was not the person... And so she was grieving but not quite able to grieve and yet I was writing the story from the doctor's point of view and from the minute he meets someone because he's a time traveller, they're already dead. He already knows that they've gone and they've passed on into another life and that he's, he can see the end of their life before he's even said hello to them. And it was, it was all that kind of horrible... I know, I've brought the mood down, have a I? Christmas. <laughs> You know, Christmas is a celebration of birth. It's not Easter.
2: <laughs> but, but you say that, Adam, but, you know, there's a, there's a tradition with Christmas specials in the UK. Either they're really silly and happy and hooray Yay. or they're incredibly depressing.
8: Oh, like that one with the dad in the plane. Oh, oh. Yeah. sorry. <laughs> Oh, sorry. So yes, I bring you, I bring you Sue Tech's gift of Sarah oh, Jane Smith. Wow. <laughs> Thanks.
2: Thanks Adam. She's very special. Maybe, maybe Sarah Jane should go on the tree, John.
1: <gasps>
2: yeah. Okay. We'll put Sarah Jane on the tree. Thanks, Adam Richard. Thanks. Bye, Hooray! Adam. Help yourself to drinks and nibbles and stuff. Ah, Sarah Jane. It's not going to get creepy, is it? My my favourite
0: thing in Canine companies to throw in is there's a couple who are... uh, Spoilers. There's a couple who are presented as being clearly the villains and the twist is they're not at the end. But once you know that, it means everything they do is unbelievably creepy. Um, There's a bit where she rings up to to invite Sarah Jane Smith around for drinks and there's a bit where she hangs up and turns up and goes, what did she say? She'll come. (laughs) And I just hope they're swingers.
1: (laughs) could be. Oh. Is that the Please. door already? Is the
2: door ringing or knocking or something? <laughs> I think it is. Hey. So it's here? Yay!
1: It's Melbourne's godmother of comedy. Hello! Janet McCloud. Yay! Janet. Hey, Janet hey,
9: McLeod, everyone. Sorry I mispronounced. Yeah, that's okay. Look, I, uh, I've i brought you the gift of Doctor Who. Wow! Yay. Wait, Who's well, going to have seen
2: that coming? Wait, haven't
9: we, have we already
2: got the gift of Doctor well, Who?
9: Well, I've got Can a different... Oh, I've also got some green tomato pickle that I picked up from the CWA. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. In no, fact, put that he, under the tree, John. Before I show you okay. my gift of Doctor Who, I might also show you what else I picked up at the CWA Christmas <gasps> Fair. I bet you're going to be fucking jealous. <gasps> oh. It's a knitted Dalek. But you know what I like? It's been knitted a bit wrong, so it's looking over its shoulder it's (laughs) a nervous it's 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 it's
2: an anxious it's an anxiety (laughs) Dalek
9: but this is the gift of Doctor Who I brought
2: Rowan
0: Atkinson Rowan
9: Atkinson (laughs) yes the curse of the fatal death because you mean
2: Janet you've brought the only time Stephen Moffat will ever write a female doctor
9: absolutely
1: oh my vulvic cul-de-sac thank you
0: so, so tell us, Janet, what is this thing, w- well, what you have brought?
9: Like all good Christmases, then somebody's going to have a gag present. Like, you know, apron with boobs. Or in this case, apron with etheric beam locators. A <laughs> uh, Big hello to the nerds. Oh, by the way, do you like my etheric beam locators in my hair? Oh, But yes. wait, I got crafty ten minutes before I left. <laughs> it was worth it, wasn't it? There
2: <laughs> the Dalek I, nanobots have got you, Janet. I, I have...
9: I have no idea if I'll be able to make sense of my notes, but in the meantime, (laughs) I'll just keep pointing at you. you, you, You're just such a
0: crazy old bag lady now. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us more about The Curse of Fatal
9: Death. Okay, The Curse of the Fatal Death. Of course, this was a comic relief little special four little mini episodes that was dotted throughout a comic uh, relief presentation in 1999. Now, this is very important because this was a BBC-produced Doctor Who product. It was a spoof. But it was still Doctor Who. Now, for the young people here, you do not know how special this was. Let us not forget the vast wasteland that there was. In between 1996, the telemovie, and 2005, there was... Fuck all, my friends.
2: The wilderness years, it we was, called them.
9: It was like this sea of nothingness. Nine years of nothingness and this was this tiny little island of hope. It's like we were drifting in a in bass strait of wholessness and this was King Island. <laughs> and just like King Island, look, we were desperate to get there. It was pretty cheesy, but we were going for it, OK? Oh. All right. <laughs> my work here is done. <laughs> So anyhow, right, this is, uh, who's seen it? Hands up who's seen it. Yay! Most ha-
2: of the people in the room. Most good. of the
9: people. Yeah, I, who well, hasn't maybe. seen it? Yeah, I thought so. Well, uh, and
2: who did not put up their hand either way because they're totally confused as to what's going
4: on.
9: <laughs> okay. <laughs> Curse of the Fatal death. So... Petra. <laughs> Rowan Atkinson was the doctor and Julia Sawalha was his assistant. So it opens... I know, it's great. It opens and there's the master inside his TARDIS and the console is going up and down but really badly because it was a console that they'd borrowed from some fans because the BBC had trashed the actual one. Good on the BBC. So it's going up and down. The motors... Uh, it was working fine apparently before the broadcast but then it... Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's going shit out. And you can see the, the Doctor and the Master's going, whoa, oh, oh, and talking about, about what he's going to do. And Rowan Yatkinson, of course, without turning around, says, I can hear you, you know. And so so it's on. They've decided they're going to meet on the planet Tercorus. So they've met on this planet. Uh, the uh, the Master is trying to concoct all sorts of things. He's, of course, uh, decided he, he's going to get the Doctor because he's gone back in time and he's spoken to the architect and he's managed to install the Spikes of Doom. Boom. The wall turns around and they come back. And they are, of course, on the sofa of reasonable comfort. Yes.
2: <laughs> it's just like Bill
9: and Ted. It's great. And that's just becoming something from the internet now. It's great. Jonathan
2: Price does an amazing job playing Jonathan the master. Jonathan
9: Price? I know. would not you so happy to see Jonathan Price? It kind of got the taste of Eric Roberts out of your mouth, <laughs> didn't it? <laughs> Going back to Shark to um, <laughs> Of course, the doctor gets killed. Oh, oh Rowan Atkinson, doctor gets killed, and he regenerates into Richard E. Grant. Yes! Yay! Yes! Yay! Four years early, but yes, yes. And then he goes into um, Jim Broadbent, who's one of the masters in. Um, uh, uh, it, 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 yeah. Oh, fans are Jim Broadbent. Okay, in Harry Potter, he's one of those guys. Uh, and then, uh, and then he regenerates, and he's Hugh Grant. Ah, oh, that's pretty sexy, isn't it? Whoa. <laughs> Because that's the thing. Is he,
2: he's the one who says, I'll lick the mirror handsome, or is that Richard No, no, oh, that's no. no it's Richard, no,
9: Richard, Richard E. Grant. Yeah. Richard E. Grant, cute, sexy, at lick the mirror handsome. <laughs> <laughs> See, if you, know, you young people don't know how lucky you have it. <laughs> Can I just point out that you've got sexy Doctor Who's. We did not have that much to work with. Pertwee <laughs> and Baker, but we tried. We did our damnedest. God. Anyhow, uh, I still like men in velvet coats, in case you're wondering. <laughs> frilly shirts anyhow uh, yeah, but then of course there's that great moment where of course he's used up all his regenerations so when he gets killed again this is going to be it and there is a beautiful speech and I must read it this is this is this is actually quite beautiful Stephen Moffat wrote this as Emma the assistant says you can't die you're too nice too brave too kind and far far too silly You're like Father Christmas, The Wizard of Oz, Scooby-Doo and I love you very much and we all need you and you simply cannot die. And you just know that's what Stephen Moffat has been thinking in his bedroom (laughs) for years. This is it. So anyhow, but he does regenerate into Joanna Lumley. Because this episode, of course, uh, the, the Curse of the Fatal Death, and it's it's almost a reimagining of things that could have happened because there's all these people that are connected with this particular enterprise from the past of Doctor Who, including, of course, the, one of the voices of the Daleks, Roy Skelton. Yeah. He is in it, in a Dalek, and, of course... People from the future, including Richard E. Grant and Stephen Moffat, et cetera, et cetera. Now, here's something: Joanna Lumley was seriously considered in the 80s as being a potential Doctor Who. Yes.
4: How cool,
9: a, uh, so it's the first depiction of a female Doctor. Yay! Yay! Maybe the only one. Who knows? Uh, and then, uh, and of course, she uh, she she ends up going. Ooh etheric beam locators no no those are real breasts are you sure i can see an on switch uh so there's there's tit jokes there's fart jokes there's poo jokes this has got it all but the thing that i like best about this spoof is that there's love and knowledge behind it and in the end then the doctor and the master get off together yay that's what we've always wanted well, I think that's it for me. Thank he you so, so much for coming
0: to our party, Janet McLeod. Thank
9: you. Thanks, Janet.
0: Where are we going to put Rowan Atkinson? Oh, we, can, we can try and find some more room on the tree. We could try and put him yeah. down here. Put him on the tree.
2: Oh, the people on the... OK, if, if other people at the party want him on the tree... <laughs> So, hang
1: on.
4: That
2: is the doorbell. I
1: wonder who that could be. I don't know. Oh. It's, it's award-winning writer, journalist and creator of the Salmon and Dust podcast, Mike Bartlett. Hi, Hi Mike. Mike. Hi, Hey.
2: Mike. Oh. I like your outfit, Mike.
10: Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, at least I made an effort. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have oh. the gift of uh, not one, actually, but uh, six doctors. What? Because uh, I'm here to give you the gift of the big finish doctors.
2: Oh, you mean mean the other Big Finish? Yeah, the other
10: Big Finish doctors. The
2: unbound doctors? The
10: unbound doctors. Uh, Now, these are doctors so secret that they've actually never been seen by anyone. Uh, As some of you may know, um, most of you probably know, Big Finish are a private company who, back in the dark days of 1999, were actually um, given permission to make their own audio adventures, which I think says a lot about how the BBC felt about Doctor Who at the time, that they uh, gave their most valuable property to a group of geeks with a home studio. Uh, and some of these big finishes are absolutely fantastic. Uh, they, they, when they started out, they were largely exercises of nostalgia. Uh, they were very much structured like uh, 1980s Doctor Who, so four 25-minute episodes. Um, and I think in some ways, because, because of that, when Doctor Who did come back in 2005, I think one of the reasons that fans were a bit sort of shocked by the new version was that there was this idea that Big, that Doctor Who was somehow old-fashioned, that it was something that kind of belonged in the, the 1970s and the 1980s. And I think that Big Finish helped sort of enshrine that idea by sort of reverting to that. For example, when uh, Big Finish took on Paul McGann in uh, 2001... Um, which I think is one of their, their greatest contributions, that reviving this forgotten Doctor. Uh, instead of following on with the kind of filmic feel of his debut, they just stuck him in this sort of stories that uh, really felt like they belonged in 1975, I think. And with a companion who seemed to be straight from 1975 as well. You know, this was 2001, and the only sort of characters you saw with those sort of RP British accents on television at the time were, uh, were villains, usually super villains. But um, they gave him this rather... Tedious, posh uh, Charlie as a companion instead. But uh, the Doctors that I wanted to talk to you about were actually Big Finish's attempt to sort of stretch the format. So they created the series, I think it was in 2000 and
2: 2003.
10: 2003 for the anniversary. And the, what's really quite interesting about these is that one of the things that people always uh, profess to love about Doctor Who is this idea that it can really be and do anything that it's a series with this incredibly flexible format that can be a, uh, a comedy one week and a space opera the next week and horror or sort of proper drama. Um, and in some ways, what the, the Big Finish Unbound stories show is that that's not really true and that actually there is quite a, uh, a rigid format to Doctor Who and once you start tinkering with that, it, it breaks. And uh, so there are six, six uh, Big Finish Unbound stories. For me... We might be about to disagree. For me, the one that I, I like the best is Sympathy for the Devil.
2: Yeah, that's great.
10: Right. And uh, good. Phew. Right. Nobody likes a Pretty fight hard. at Christmas. <laughs> Lame. That would never happen. <laughs> um, and what I really like about Sympathy for the Devil is that it doesn't actually stretch the format too far. On the, What it does is it casts a fantastic actor, David Warner, who is someone that you kind of always felt had always been the Doctor in some sort of parallel universe. You had that sort of quality to him. So they cast David Warner essentially as John Pertwee. And they say, what if John Pertwee, instead of turning up in 19... 19- well, actually, whenever it is that those unit stories happen.
2: Let's. Our official policy at Splendid Chaps is not to enter into the unit dating controversy.
10: Okay. All right. So it, instead of landing somewhere between 1969 and 1980, uh, he lands between 10 to 30 years later. Uh, in 1997 in Hong Kong, and he meets an older um, brigadier, played by the brigadier, who uh, is is a bit sort of bitter, and he's obviously had a bit of a bad run because his best friend hasn't been there to stop aliens invading. Um, And it's a great story because it it feels quite modern and old-fashioned at the same time, and Warner's an excellent doctor. Um, And some of the other stories are, are really very interesting, <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> I, I've got to say, I actually I also really like the Unbound series because they're, they're all a what if series. Yeah, yeah. So the first one is What If the Doctor Had Never Left Gallifrey, That's and he's right. played by Catweasel. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah.
10: And I was going to say, Geoffrey Belden again, an excellent actor that you felt had kind of been the Doctor. And he, in, in the first story, um, which is... Old Mortality. Old Mortality, thank you. I could remember Storm of Angels, which is the second one that he did. Uh, Geoffrey Belden is essentially playing William Hartnell. And as John said, the concept is, what if the Doctor had never left Gallifrey? And the answer to that is that we probably wouldn't be standing here talking about the show <laughs> <laughs> 50 years later. Um, but it's a really interesting story. I mean, it's, um, it's quite a sort of complex story. It's written by an, a writer called Mark Platt, who wrote uh, Ghost Light for the final Sylvester Yay! McCoy story. I love which I, I, I love that series. I love that story. Um, that's quite an interesting one, and it does what the series is setting out to do, which is to sort of play with the format but still kind of contains it. Uh, there's a later story, which is called Full Fathom 5, which the question that Full Fathom 5 asks is, what if you took an unlikable guest actor from a previous Doctor Who episode and cast him as an unlikable incarnation of the Doctor. And clearly, completely forgetting about Colin Baker.
0: To, to be fair, though, that, that is the basis of that story. It's what it if the Doctor was an asshole, Pretty yes. much is actually the, the theory yeah.
10: of that. It is. Yes. and. And if you're interested in finding out what happens if the hero isn't the hero of the story, then it is, it is a very interesting story. Uh, there's another one called *The Jess at Scars, which takes a plot point from one of the... Um, from basically the nadir of 1980s Doctor Who and reverses it. But I think for me, the most sort of disappointing one, and this could be where Ben and I are about to argue, was, uh, was the final one, which has the most interesting of the questions, which is, what if a woman was cast as the Doctor? And unfortunately, instead of casting someone like... Helen Mirren or uh, Rebecca Hall or Ruth Wilson I think would be fantastic uh, instead of any of those people uh, they cast Arabella Weir who's best known from uh, The, the Fast Show and is a fairly mediocre comedian she did live with David Tennant they're good,
2: good mates yeah
10: Yeah, which is possibly how she got the gig um, and uh, and <laughs>
1: Here's Christmas We should be nice
10: She's nice Um, I like Arabella Weir
0: I I think the script's not very good In that particular particular story
2: (laughs) uh, Actually I just want to take issue with One thing Because I don't think The what if of that Is what if the Doctor was a woman Like they do cast a woman It's more what if the Doctor Didn't get caught by the Time Lords And we wrote it as a comedy
10: that's, and and that's she became just like a drunken... It. And I think that's probably yeah. my biggest issue with the story is that it kind of takes this really... Something that people have been really curious about as, as we were just talk, you know, hearing about Joanna Lumley, really curious about the idea of what if we you know, took, a, took the doctor and cast a woman... And it turns it into a bad comedy. Yeah, it just throws it away. Yeah, right? and that's the least forgivable thing about it, that it's an unfunny comedy. And of course, there's
0: one more in that series, which is my favourite, which is the one we actually bought, um, which was a <laughs> Deadline, which has Derek Jacobi in it. Yeah. And the yeah. what if is, what if no one ever made Doctor Who? That's right. And it's about a washed-up writer in a, in a nursing home yeah, yeah. who wrote a pilot for a show called Doctor Who that no-one remembers.
10: That's right. Because it
2: never got made, but he keeps getting in, in, interviewed by the Juliet Bravo fan club.
10: That's right. Because <laughs> he
2: wrote one <laughs> Juliet
10: Bravo episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah And, and, and his... Which was written, of course, by Rob Shearman, who went on to write uh, Dalek in the first uh, Christopher Eccleston series and has done some of Big Finish's best work as well. It's, they're really interesting... I'll keep coming back to that word. It, they're really interesting experiments, and it's an experiment that I'd actually like to see redone. I think for me, part of the disappointment was that in breaking the format, you kind of lose the sense that these actors, uh, many of whom um, are actors that you would really like to see play the doctor. I mean, Derek Jacoby would be fantastic, Jeffrey Belden, obviously D- David Warner, um, all fantastic potential doctors. And there's this sense that, there are, you, know, there are thousands and thousands of British actors out there who would be a fantastic doctor. Idris Elba would be a, a fantastic choice, although so apparently <coughs> apparently he's not king because he doesn't like the outfits. So
2: <laughs> yeah, but he was happy to play... He was happy to go in Thor.
10: I know. And, and wear a helmet with and a spits really, on his it. his outfit in Luther is basically David Tennant. It's Tenet. basically the Doctor's outfit, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. true. Um, and so it's slightly disappointing that we don't see get a chance to see more fantastic actors as the doctor. Now, I'd love to see this experiment done again post-2005 when we've got a bit of a clearer idea of what the show is and how, how it can be changed. And, and get in some, you know, writers like... People like Phil Pullman uh, or uh, uh, Patrick Ness or Mallory Blackman. Uh, actors, uh, authors who, um, or writers who could really put their own stamp on the series. And I'd love to see people actually just uh, show us their version of this show that is so flexible and that, that obviously all of us... You know, love so passionately.
0: Thank you, Mike, for
10: coming Thank you, into Mike. our party. Yeah. Yay.
1: <laughs> no, you can have it. Oh, uncle oh, uncle oh uncle no, me. don't.
2: Oh. <laughs> you can go in my in oh. my wall, Arabella. Paul, yeah, yeah, Arabella, in, in we're yeah. here. Uh, well,
0: you know, I mean, it's, I'm I'm thinking this is a, this party's going well. It's good. It's, yeah, uh, it's great. It's going We've already like,
2: mentioned Richard E. Grant at least three uh, times. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know the only thing better than Richard E. Grant is Santa Capaldi's gonna come. It's not long now. He's going to come soon. Santa, Santa Capaldi is going to be so a, look, good. Just, it's going to be so good. Look,
0: I'm going to love I'm, it. I've got to tell him, Petra. He's going to turn t- up. There's going to
2: be a TARDIS. Look, He's going to come look, out.
0: going to I'm not
2: swearing. Check me no, out. No, anyway, no, look, I, I
0: suspect yeah. that's enough. I think yeah. perhaps Santa Capaldi isn't something we need to be quite so obsessed about. He's
2: the best ever, John. Like, How often do you get a new doctor at Christmas? Not very often. Santa Capaldi isn't... doesn't happen. There's
0: no such thing as Santa Capaldi. Oh, John. Look, no, someone has to tell him. Why would you say that, John? There is no such thing as Santa Capaldi. (sighs) It's your mother swearing in a Scottish accent. It's what everyone's parent does. You're meant to find out when you're a child there is no such thing as Santa Capaldi. He's not... not real. That's not true. He's not real. There is no such thing. Yes, he is. I saw him. I saw him. I saw him on November 23rd. Your parents... Your parents bought you the tickets to that cinema screening. There is no such thing as Santa Capaldi.
1: Sorry, Ben, I didn't want to be so mean. This is my way of being a Doctor Who fan, to get excited about
0: Peter Capaldi, and there's no wrong way to be a Doctor Who fan. No, there is. There is one wrong way to be a Doctor Who fan, and it's your way, Ben McKenzie. There is no such thing as Santa Capaldi, and I'm sick of hearing you going on about it.
1: Alright, alright, fine, I
0: won't top up yeah, the look, punch Stop it, I, I've had enough of this Let's go off and we'll go and you know, get a pizza or something what? You can just, you just stay here with a band And maybe sing a song you've rehearsed Oh, I just, I'm not interested
1: I'm sorry Ben, but As my allegiance goes What?
2: Petra? You as well? This is the worst Christmas ever I need to sing a really sad song. Well, I woke up today
7: And the world was a restless place Could have been that way
0: Sorry, Ben, have, have you been just here being sad for the whole interval?
2: As far as the magic of theatre is concerned, yes, John.
0: And did, did you sing your sad Murray Gold song? Yes.
2: That's how sad I was, John. I sung something written by Murray Gold.
0: Look, I, I am sorry, I just, I just didn't realise... I think that there's a time in everyone's life when they discover that Santa Capaldi isn't real. And, and it's that moment where, where they find that they're alone in a cruel and uncaring universe. And I just didn't realise that was going to happen for you turn it on stage. Bit weird. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I feel really bad about it. So I, I was thinking about how I could cheer you up. And um, I know your favourite Doctor, Sylvester McCoy. <laughs> and I know one of your favourite stories is Ghostlight. And there's a song in that, isn't there, boys and girls? (laughs) And I thought maybe the Time Lads and us could perform it for you now. It's by J.F. Mitchell, and it's called That's the Way to the Zoo. (laughs) I don't know what it is about my figure or my style. But every time I walk abroad, the passers-by do smile. I lost myself in Kensington about a week today. I asked a cabman the way home and to me he did say That's the way to the zoo, that's the way to the zoo The monkey house is nearly full but there's room enough for you Take a bus to Regent's Park, make haste before it shuts. Next Monday I will come and bring you such a lot of nuts. Hey, that's the way to the zoo, that's the way to the zoo. The monkey house is nearly full, but there's room enough for you. Take a bus to Regent's Park, make haste before it shuts. Next Monday I will come and bring you such a lot of nuts. Now, I thought that... That might at least be a start to cheering you up. And, and are you cheered up now? Um, no, of yes, course you're not. Uh, I can I see am, you're actually, not anywhere near cheered up enough. And, you know, I wish, I wish, little Benji Bobo, I wish I could sing more of this song for you. Well, of course you but can. But unfortunately, on the DVD, all they have is that first verse. That's right, John. That's right. And chorus. So I put some calls out... So, Tim Richard went looking through the National Archives and the State Library. Judy Hodgkin went through the archives of many sheet music places in the UK. And I contacted Mark Ayres, the man who wrote the incidental music for Ghostlight and was a member of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. He sent me this sheet music. So, I now know there are three more verses. So, that's the way to the zoo. And I can see in your face little, little Benji, Benji, ginger beardy boy that you really want to hear more of this to make you happy. That's true, isn't it? Yes, it is. So let's have another verse, shall we, everyone? The little boys took up the cry and followed me about. Till everybody laughed quite loud, I could not make it out. I then turned down a narrow street to get out of the throng. When one young hussy came and said, I say you're going wrong. No!
4: the
0: way to Yeah,
4: that's the way to the zoo. The monkey house, house is, is nearly full, but there's room enough for you. Take a, a bus to Regent's Park. my face before it shuts. Next Monday I, I will come and bring you such a lot of nuts. Yeah, and that's the, the way, way to the zoo. zoo. That's, that's the way, way to the zoo. To the, zoo. the monkey house, house is nearly
0: full, but there's room enough for you. Take a bus to Regent's Park. my face before it shuts. Next Monday I will come and bring you such a lot of nuts. Now, at this point, I thought maybe you'd be happy, but I can see you're not!
4: No, I can see.
0: You're a man who's thinking you've gone to all that research. Splendid chaps, clearly a podcast that doesn't know the meaning of the word. For God's sake, that's enough. And I can see the things you really need to hear is another verse this song, because when life gives you lemons, when life gives you lemons, Benji, Benji, Bobo, Benji, all you have to do is grab life by the throat and say, I didn't ask for lemons, I wanted cake! Another verse? Oh, yeah. To a policeman, I asked him what I'd done. Said he, "They only take you for Old Pongo's youngest son." I said I'd take his number, but he only did a laugh. Says I, "Where is the station house?" He pointed with his staff. Oh, All that's the way to the zoo. That's the way to the zoo. The monkey house is nearly full, but there's room enough for you. Take it
4: past the bus to Regent's Park. The case before it shuts. Next Monday I will come and bring you such a lot of That's lunch. the way to the zoo. That's the way to the zoo. That's the way to the zoo. The monkey house, house is nearly full, but there's room, room enough for you. Yeah. Take a bus to, to reach to the spot, I before it shots. Next please. Monday, i the bring you such a lot of Say song, please! John, that song is terrifying!
0: <laughs> just a j- jaunty little tune.
2: You were not paying attention during Ghostlights! <laughs> she plays it because they're killing people! Going to the zoo is a metaphor for death!
0: There's no wrong way to be a fan.
2: <laughs> You're right, there's no, there's no wrong way to be a fan. And that, that, that includes my way, doesn't it, John?
0: You, you, Santa Capaldi? Yes. Yeah, you can... You, you he just... might
2: still be out there, John.
0: He might, he might be. In he an might. infinite
2: universe, all things are possible.
0: Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to hold on to hope. But I see... I see you have some presents there. I do. And presents also means...
1: Prizes! Yay! Yay! Or as I like to say, free shit.
2: That's because you're vulgar.
1: Um, hey, Petra.
0: Do we, do, we hey, have any gu- do we have any guests coming in, Petra, to help us draw the prizes?
1: It's the original designer of the Cybermen, Alexandra Tynan! Yay!
7: It's a Christmas miracle!
0: Now, for those who weren't there back in January, Alexandra was one of our first ever guests on Splendid Chaps. In 1966, she was the woman who designed the Cybermen. Hooray!
2: The original and best, Smith's Crisps, Cybermen. This
0: is the lady who said, you know what robots need? Handles convenient. And she also did the second lot of Cybermen as well because she didn't know when to stop.
2: (laughs) Just like us.
0: (laughs) Now, look, we're going to take surprise. What I want to do first, though, is ask Alexandra because this is the thing. When when we got in touch with you, I remember the very first time I talked to you by email, one of the first things you said to me was, how did you get this email? And... (laughs) and throughout this year it's been our year at Doctor Who but it's been yours as well because a lot of it's come through us we've had a lot of people asking to get in touch with you you've Introduced one of the screenings of *Day of the Doctor* in the cinema. You judged, I think, a costume competition for *Supernova*. You were interviewed for the BBC for a documentary about Neil Gaiman. Uh, you've done a Toby. I was? A Toby Hayder. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you said you were going to. Maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah. no,
11: I, I, I never got round to that one. But there were other thi- <laughs> there were other other things.
0: So tell us, what has things. your year been like?
11: Yeah. My year has been terrific, actually. Um, and the Cybermen are still chasing me, and uh, <clears throat> and I'm still trying to get away. <laughs> (laughs)
0: did you expect this amount of attention
11: no
2: (laughs) are you pleased with
0: this
11: amount of attention yes
2: (laughs) i was worried there for a second now when when you were on the show back in january we we talked about what it was like working at the bbc in the 60s and, and we talked about the fact that you had watched the hour and you thought that that was not very reminiscent of how you remembered it but of course they made as part of the anniversary special, they made an adventure in space and time about the creation of Doctor Who. What, what
11: did, did you see it? Did I ever. Wow. And I was really glad I was on my own because I cried the whole way through. Oh. <laughs> was, it, was it really accurate? It was a very accurate. It was frighteningly accurate. And, and what, was, what made it even more so was the fact that the actors who they had cast looked exactly like the real people and and a lot of it was filmed in the building at the television centre, and and I was watching and thinking, I've walked along that corridor, I've been in that room, and it was just, it was like, it was time travel for me. I mean, it was a really weird experience, because you were seeing part of your, your life, you know, all those years ago, and... Um, Although I wasn't on Doctor Who to start with, I knew what was going on and, you know, um, and I think I've told you before that I was in the same studio, the same office as Daphne Dare, who was the costume designer at the time before me and, and and again, I've told you this too, that I used to say to her, I'm so glad I don't work on that show. Famous last words. And,
0: and one of your Cybermen is at, at the very beginning of an adventure of space and time. Yes, it's amazing and, shot. And,
11: the, and I, it made me feel terrible because it, the first thing he said was, "Oh, God, I'm so hot." <laughs> <laughs> And that's exactly what they were saying, but he was he was smoking at the same time. <laughs> that would not have been allowed in the studio. Oh really? But oh, it was a lovely a lovely touch. Okay. Yeah.
2: And did did you spot you in there? Like was there any? No. Oh. <laughs> I was wondering that because I was watching it and all this stuff seemed Where really familiar I? to me. So like. Alexandra told us about that bit and about
11: this bit. It's real. It's
2: all real. And then in that scene, I'm like, one of those extras is surely you.
11: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was funny because there was um, the scene where um, Bill Hartnell turns into Patrick Troughton Number one becomes number doctor number two, and I was in the studio standing right next to them. And when that they had that scene in the show, and I, I said, I was standing there, and they've got two blokes there, you
7: know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh.
11: And then I thought, ah, oh, well, and the the studio that we were in when we actually did it is now, you know, it's been demolished, I think. So it was mind you, that's the story of history, isn't it? The, the it women is. get removed and the yes, men get in their yes. place. Um, but it was so well done and, and, I, and I went and bought the DVD today because I want to show it to my sons who missed out on it and say this is part of your mother's life oh wow
4: <laughs> that's
11: so great well, Speaking of
0: DVDs, let's draw the prizes. Oh yeah, prize time! Prize now, time! If you can pass that to Alexandra, Alexandra, would you mind? This is the the person who's going to win from our last show the copy of Doctor Who: The Complete Seventh Series.
11: Sally Evans. Oh. Are you here, Sally Evans? No,
2: she's not here because she lives in Sydney.
11: Oh. Oh.
0: Well, that's right. We'll be posting that out to Sally. Yes. Yeah. Bless her. Hooray
2: well, for Sally! Sally. Yay. <laughs> so excited. Now I should say Sally and I are friends but we didn't rig this Um, but we watched Battlestar Galactica together on Twitter. (laughs) Nerds. Now we can watch uh, Doctor (laughs) Who together (laughs) on Twitter. Yes. Uh, That's it.
0: No one else wins anything
2: but hooray prizes. Well John you say no one else wins anything that's true but we have sold every single one of the Lucky Dip prizes. Which means that for our two charities, the Science Seeker Resource Centre and Doctors Without Borders, we have raised a total together of $512. We'll be giving them each 256 bucks. Hey! Which will go some way to helping them out. Doing good.
0: And can you please thank our favouritest guest ever, Alexandra Tyman!
2: Thank you, Alexandra. Have a good Christmas. Wish we could put Alexandra... No, that's creepy. I was going to say, I wish we could put Alexandra in the pool room. I'm like, no, that sounds... (laughs) Sounds like I'm William Hartnell's first Doctor serial killer guy.
1: (laughs) It's digital artist, techno-evangelist and regular contributor to ABC Radio's Download This Show, Fee Plumley. Hi, Fee!
12: Hi, Fee! Hi, guys. Okay, well, you've had the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present. Here is the doctor of Christmas never to have been. What I is present it? you with Richard E. Grant, oh! a- AKA Dracula. Yeah, <laughs> wait a
7: minute.
12: Come okay. on, he's totally Dracula, right. totally Dracula. Yeah, and cool. I would like to refute Janet's previous comment that there was a wholess era between the end of the last series and the beginning of the 2005 series. I'm sorry, he may have been a stroppy little person, but he was still a doctor, and there were at least 100,000 people that bothered to connect to the webcast, one of which is furiously pointing at himself right now. It was me! (laughs)
0: I've got to say, I do remember trying to watch it, but I had dial-up. And
2: We all had dial-ups. It was I, 2003. But, but
0: the sheer amount of effort required for all those BBC online products at the time it was like, a, yes, I'm committing to watching the first two minutes of this story. Now I'm committing to the next two minutes. Could take a while.
12: And even if you try to cache it, the cache would fail at somewhere down the junction and you'd have to refresh it and then it would go back to the beginning and you'd be like, oh my God. It's like the NBN in Australia, right? <laughs>
0: But tell us more, what what was Richard's what did he do?
12: Well, for a start, he rocked up in a little town called Lanet in Lancashire, which, you know, for most people would make them pretty grumpy. Uh, <laughs> as someone who's, you know, from the Manchester area in North Wales. I, I can relate to that completely. Surprisingly enough, in this little town in Lanet, there was this occupation by some strange alien types who were hiding underneath the ground in some lava that would keep popping up according to the noise and, you know, general rumblings of the normal population around there, which, to be honest, in Lanark in Lancashire wouldn't have been very much at all, but hey... <laughs> Uh, And of course, you know, he rocks up. He he has this interesting uh, robotic master in his TARDIS, which I think is the first time we've had a robotic master. There's some really interesting sexual tension that goes on between the doctor and the master in here. So, but you know, the master is played by Derek Jacobi. And so I can kind of relate to that. Uh, The actors that we had there were obviously Richard E. Grant. Has anyone actually seen it?
7: Yes! I watched it on the internet! Hardly
12: any of you. If you actually want to try and watch it right now, you need to download Flash 4.
0: Or and if you can't get the DVD now, which is probably the easiest way of doing it.
12: But, you know, the whole futuristic thing about, like, you know, the internet and webcasting and stuff, and now we have Flash 4 that you're supposed to download into a browser that will play it? I don't think so.
0: The BBC, though, were really ahead of all that, weren't they? Like, this is before YouTube and, and all that sort of content. They
12: they tried to be ahead of the game, but I'm, you know, as is typical with the BBC in the UK, there's generally like one or two people in the department who are just like, yes, we should totally do this. And the rest of the department going, what, why, who cares? Radio, that's fun. (laughs) Which was basically what this was. It was like a radio drama with some cool animation, but it was an ongoing process that uh, the BBC had been going through, particularly through like the, the iPlayer development. They'd been looking at how you got to take a, a particular character and be able to manifest them across these digital channels at a time when the technology was bad for play for audiences to be able to download and play this stuff. So uh, they started off by having a few little pictures of stuff, and then they would put some audio drama against it, and then eventually this was the first time that they'd been a specially commissioned piece that was produced by uh, Cosgrove Hall, who are a fantastic animation company. And anybody who's actually seen this, uh, the the series will maybe have noticed that the very first scene in the bar, the pint goes down on a bear mat that has a Cosgrove Hall logo oh. on it. Classy. The other actors, we had a beautiful little cameo from uh, David Tennant, who happened to be recording an audio drama somewhere down the, down the corridor and heard the Doctor Who was being recorded and went... <sighs> Quick, let me in! No, honestly, I'm going to be really good. I would love to do this. I'm completely obsessed by all of this stuff. Unlike Richard E. Grant, but hey, let's not go there. And, well, that seemed to do him some good, I think, maybe, somewhere down the track. We also had uh, the companion, Alison, was um, Sophie 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 Okaneda, who uh, then went on to... Who, who at the time was recording Hotel Rwanda and went on to uh, be nominated for an Academy Award for that. So she is the first, not only the first black actress to play a companion in Doctor Who, but she's also the first companion to be nominated for an Oscar, which I think is pretty damn cool.
0: And of course, yeah, someone just mentioned she showed up in the show later on. She played Liz Ten in in the Matt Smith. Indeed she did,
12: several times. Uh, The thing (laughs) I loved most about it though was that... uh, in the time in the UK, there was so much focus on what technology was going to do for the country. We'd only just got to the point, and I say that as somebody who's from there and lived there during it, God forbid, that uh, mobiles were everywhere. There was this whole futuristic vision of how the mobile content industry was going to take over the world. Weird, that, huh? And uh, and and there was this uh, beautiful moment in Doctor Who, in the in the um, Scream of the Shalker that... He telephones the TARDIS in order to be able to suck him out of the black hole. I think that says a lot about what the UK thought that (laughs) telecommunications were going to do. Pretty sure that we didn't get that, but hey, maybe it's going to come. There was this beautiful moment of uh, how audiences, even though there were only really a few of them, would connect together in this live shared experience at a time when people were just completely obsessed with recording every TV show or PVRs were just beginning to come out at that point. But for this moment, we suddenly had this coming together of people who wanted that live shared experience. And I think as a community of people... What happened with the BBC during Scream of the Schalke actually helped to prove to the organisational infrastructure, such as BBC, that actually the shared live experience was something that they needed to be aware of and ready for.
2: Speaking of someone who watched it at the time, it was the first time in my entire life that I could watch new Doctor Who at the same time as people in the UK. Like, even the telemovie, you know, it came out here two, two, three months after. Um, and it was just... Who was like, I didn't have to worry about spoilers for the first time ever. <laughs> it was amazing, and it and it was like it was a, it was quite a chore, as John, uh, as you said, and as you said to, to try and watch it. But man, it was worth it.
12: But one last thing. Here are the uh, Blue Peter instructions. On how you can print and download. I love the fact that this is a photocopied piece of paper that they then put on the internet. <laughs> um, of how you could download and scan your own characters. <gasps> You can act it out with My little God, paper you guys models. Are really good. Wow. I love the visual stuff on the podcast. And so you could put them in front of the sets. Oh. <laughs> like these days, you'd have a downloadable STL file so that you could 3D print it. But you know, in 2003, <laughs> this was ten years ago. guys
0: yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. They should do for all shows. Q and A. You could just move everything. Yeah.
12: <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing.
1: <laughs>
2: Sorry, well, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> you watch a lot of Q&A.
1: <laughs> no, I just read the tweets. Oh.
0: Well, I think that's an unusual gift, but kind of cool.
1: I love it a lot. Thanks,
0: Thanks Fee. <laughs> Yay! Hey.
2: Can we, thanks, Fi! Thanks, Fi. Can we put the Shalka doctor on the tree? You know, the, the one thing that's sad about him is that when they made it, they just didn't know. Like, everyone thought Doctor Who was dead. It's never coming back. We've got to do something for the 40th anniversary. BBC television's not going to do anything. All the stuff that they sort of had planned has been cancelled. Let's do a webcast. And then, pretty much as soon as anyone got to watch it, they announced, Yeah, Doctor's coming back now. <laughs> <laughs> you don't count, Richard E. Grant. <laughs> I was so sad. Poor Richard E. Grant. Oh, it's oh,
1: the, the doorbell again. It's prize-winning author, lecturer and media academic, Dr.
3: Joimi Baker. Hi, hey, Joimi! Hey, thank you for coming, oh. Joimi. Oh, thank you for having me. I bring you Welsh Christmas greetings from Torchwood. <laughs> <laughs> a show about a rift over Cardiff enabling alien hunters because what else are you going to do if you're stuck in Wales? <laughs> <laughs> Where heroes stand on tall buildings for no other reason except to look impressive. Where we're ready to walk in slow motion with wind machines at night time.
2: It's like a film clip from the 1980s. It
3: is, it is, that's right. All wind sweat. Where a regenerating time lord is replaced by a resurrecting human. The smouldering, sometimes literally, Captain Jack Hartness. Ooh, my staff. Which just goes to show that all zombies need is a good dermatologist and dental plan. <laughs> Where cybermen get changed into cyber babes in silver bikinis. And I would have liked to ask asked Alexandra how she felt about that. <laughs> Where we have a lead character who's fabulously omnisexual but played by an actor who was considered not gay enough for Will and Grace. <laughs> really? Yes. What? Yes. Yeah, he was turned down because he was not gay enough, so they gave it to a straight actor. Go figure!
0: Wow! Can you imagine anyone saying to John Barrowman, you know, you're a bit too butch.
3: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And this is a show where men, women, aliens and poodles are all objects of sexual desire. And it also confirms that camping in Wales is a really, really bad idea, as if there was ever going to be a good idea. <laughs>
0: What I like so far, me is I still can't tell from that description whether you think this is a good show or oh, a
3: bad okay. show. <laughs> all right. No, seriously, the first couple of seasons I found a bit patchy. It's kind of monster of the weekish, and I think it's trying a bit too hard to be sexy, which makes it not sexy at all. Um, but I do like it when it's being kind of grim, like you know, Gwen cradling her dead husband and just kind of losing it. I think is a really great moment. Um, so where I think it comes into its own is in the third season children on earth because it just goes there um, and um, it's just so fabulously grim all the options are bad And there's no redemption. Happy Christmas everyone! (laughs) (laughs) And in a strange sort of way, it got me thinking that it reminds me in some ways of Genesis of the Daleks. Now, a completely different story premise, but you've got that sort of central moral dilemma where um, the fourth doctor is thinking, well, okay, yes, I can save hundreds of millions of people if I destroy the Daleks before they get going. But then, in his own words, that makes him guilty of genocide and just as bad as the garlic. So what do you do? And and Children of Earth is another horrible situation. Do you give up 10% of Earth's children to become basically shooted up as drugs for these aliens? Or do you just say goodbye to the human race? And it's really darkness that I, I quite like.
0: And then what about the American series?
3: Yeah, see the mm, yes, beaches. See, see, look, it's the Welshness that I like about this show. So as soon as they as soon as they make it uh, American, you know, you've got sunshine on warm beaches, and I'm sorry, but that's just not Torchwood for me. <laughs> Where's the rain? rain? (laughs) That's right. Where's the rain? Where's the gloom? But it does still go to some dark adult places. So, um, you know, uh, the categories of life where we get the incineration of, of people who are uh, almost dead, but not really. Um, that takes us to some pretty dim places. And you know, Gwen, in that, in that um, that last season, said, you know, I understand now why the doctor doesn't always come and save the day for us, because sometimes we're not worth it. Sometimes we make pretty lousy decisions, and that kind of reminds me, say, of. The third Doctor, when he's stranded on Earth, Doctor Who and the Solarians, where he thinks, you know, look, there's still a chance I can broker a peace deal here between humans and the Solarians, and the Brigadier goes and blows them up. You know, presumably under orders, but the Doctor's pretty disgusted. You know, it's like, you know, what's the point if this is where humanity is going to go? So yeah, I I, I like that grimness and that darkness, and Torchwood can is able to take it just that little step forward because it's in that adult time slot and it can it can go places, darker places, that Doctor Who can't. But having said that, having said that, you know, I don't want to do this is a, a grim Welsh Christmas gift. That's what Gavin and Stacey is for. Well, that's right. <laughs> because there were reports at one stage that Benny and Bjorn from ABBA would like to do a musical torch <laughs> Ooh! So... So Santa, darling, if you could arrange that, I think that would be fabulous. <laughs> I...
4: <laughs> oh, he's
1: doing the face. He's doing the
2: face. No, I think, I th- I think John and I are just trying for, for to imagine it and for the first time in our lives, we just cannot imagine what that would be like. Yeah. That is an I, unimaginable <laughs> thing.
0: I'm nervous that Joey has just made that up to see <laughs> what would happen. Yeah, no,
2: that's true. But you made, a, you made a Christmas wish about it now, so maybe Santa Capaldi will make it come true. Oh. Yeah, I think it's a wonderful
0: gift. And, and thank you, join me so much for, for joining us to give it to us. Thank you.
1: Thanks,
2: Joey. Yeah, this is going to my room.
1: Were we,
0: were we expecting any more guests at the party? Wow. That's, that's pretty much it, isn't I it?
2: That's kind of it. It's, but, but it's been a good party, it's right? It's been a great party. It's been a great been a party. party. Now yeah. I should
0: say that, I mean, this is also... Because obviously Petra and Ben and I and, and the Dalek are holding this party. It's a sort of also a goodbye party. It's been a year of Doctor Who and that year has now come to an end. So... Thank you so much, all of you. So many of you have been here for the the entire run
2: of the shows. It's been great. thank you so much. Someone over there put their hand up.
0: And we've had a chance to do so much and meet so many people and had such a great time. We have been asked if we were going to do something else, and we are. And we should probably tell you what it is now, (laughs) um, because then we'll have to do it. So it's... (laughs) Our plan for 2014 is to do a Splendid Chaps Presents. It's going to be a new science fiction comedy audio series. (laughs) scripted we're going to get some great actors in um, it is about in brief uh, should I give a, a little praise C yeah. very quick praise C yeah. woman has retired from an organisation that used to perhaps fight aliens uh, an unnamed organisation uh, yes living in her house a uh, guy comes to try and sell her cheap electricity uh, when the house suddenly travels through space and time and basically it's kind of like a really grumpy Sarah Jane Adventures <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it's called Night Terrace
1: <laughs> <Wow>.
0: <laughs> that okay, was I,
2: I think yeah.
1: That was right, bent. we'll keep that title. Yeah.
0: yeah, good,
2: good. I'm so glad it's tested well. Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> um,
0: I believe there is a URL. We can... uh, there is a
2: URL. There's nothing. So uh, it's nightterrace.com. And remember, that's night terrace. So there's two T's in the middle. N-I-G-H-T-T-E-R-R-A-C-E
0: And so we're hoping, sort of, about February or March, we'll start giving you more information about that. And yeah. we're hoping you'll come on that journey with us again. Yeah.
2: Is there anything else? Well, I don't know, John. I mean, I'm just... I guess I... I guess I was wrong. I guess... I guess there's no one else coming, I guess. Wait, what's... What's that noise? It's coming from out there! Oh, careful, Ben!
0: What was there, Ben? What did you see?
2: I'm not 100% sure, John. I... Well... All I saw was just this, this pair of eyes.
4: Santa, Santa Capaldi! He is real, he up is roll. real! It's a Christmas it's miracle! Yay.
2: We should celebrate, John. We should celebrate with a song. And you know what? I think. You, I know I said we'd never do it, but I think we could do... Uh, we're going to spend my Christmas with a Dalek. You think we could do that, right? Uh, sweet, actually, we, uh, we, uh, well, we've, well, we've got something else uh, lined up. Uh, what? And,
1: did and, you, and you, I've already you, done... <sighs> what you you already, did. No, no, no.
0: But you know how you always said that you really like the works of Ian Levine, the man who wrote... How do- dare you do- slander me, John. ...and also produced the first Take That album? Um, LAUGHTER it's he, a special theme. He he wrote once he, he once wrote the theme tune to a piece we've we've covered earlier, uh K9 and Company. And to finish Chaps yeah, Forever. Yeah. We'd like the time lads to perform the theme to K9 and Company. <laughs> and until next we meet. Thank you.
2: It's good
7: Keep warm
2: And a Merry Christmas to all of you at home
0: Listening to the Splendid Champs Christmas special. We'd like to thank this episode's Splendid Champs, Thomas Caldwell, Lee Zachariah, Adam Richard, Janet A. McLeod, Mike Bartlett, Alexandra Tynan, Fee Plumley, Dr. Joymee Baker, and Santa Capaldi. Our house band, the Time Lads, are Caleb Garfinkel, Finn O'Sullivan, Zach Watson, Nathan Power, and Caleb Garfinkel is the Splendid Champs musical director. Gastalec was built by Michael Lauder and Edward Felix, and operated by Edward Felix. Your hosts were Petra Elliott, Ben mckenzie and me, John Richards. The audio engineering and theme tune were created by the technical wizardry of David Ashton from Sample and Hold Studios. And you can find us at SplendidChaps.com and SplendidChaps on Facebook and Twitter. And keep an eye out for Night Terrace, our 2014 project at NightTerrace.com. And finally, if you're the sort of person who likes to listen all the way to the end of the credits, here's a special bonus present just for you.
2: Tell you what, since it's Christmas, there's one other song that I promised we would never do on this podcast. But I think it is Christmas. And it's Christmas time for caroling. So, really? It's time for caroling. So, can we hand out the sheets for the song to the audience? Um, we'd like you to join in. Uh, you don't have to join in on all the words. You can just join at the end of each verse. Way back, way back in, uh, in the early days of Doctor Who, there was a, a little story that we talked about way back in our first episode that I, I really love. It has a real special place in my heart. It's called The Gunfighters.
1: Oh, yeah. no wrong way, people. Come
2: on. And in that... In that
0: and, and we did... The song did get mentioned a lot in our January show. People kept saying how much they loved it and they really wanted to hear it again.
2: And we thought, well, we, how can we deny them? It's written by uh, Donald Cotton, the author of the story, and also there were um, about 16 other verses written by Rex Tucker, the director, as they narrated uh, all four episodes. It's the Ballad of the Last Chance Saloon. Mm-hmm.